Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. It is always a joy to be here, and um, I've got to tell you, Langley and David, I would walk over hot coals for, and you need to know that. I love them deeply, and I'm so thankful for what God is doing uh, with them, through them, through each of you. Uh, as, as David alluded, you know, a lot of you are new to uh, apostles, and every time I come, I meet more newcomers, and, and, and I wish that were true in all churches. Uh, it's not, uh, but every time I come, I meet newcomers, and I, and, and I meet not only newcomers, I meet folks who actually, much like many of our churches in the Anglican Church in North America, most of our churches now are made up of people who did not come from an Anglican background. Most of our churches are made up of that, and, and that's true here. I keep meeting you know, folks, well, no, I, you know, I, I came from this background or that background or no background, okay? And every time I get to do that, sure, they might be scratching their head a little bit about, well, what's a bishop, or what's this Angelican thing, or you know, whatever, okay? But it's a joy because I get to at least share lots of things. That's what we've been doing this weekend. Uh, we actually in the diocese have been encouraging churches to have discipleship weekends. We've been encouraging and we realize that, that we can't just say, well, why don't you do it? We need to come alongside. And so we've actually, over this last uh, year and a half, we've actually been going to every church in the diocese and beginning to at least what I describe as cultivate, maybe till the soil, cultivate the concept of what it means to have a disciple-making culture. All of our churches preach God's Word faithfully. All, all of our churches actually have pretty vibrant and, 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 and meaningful worship. But most churches in America, especially most Christian churches in America, don't know what it's like to have a culture that actually helps, shapes, grows, matures disciples. And let me give you at least my baseline definition of a disciple. A disciple is someone who can make another disciple. And so our heart is to go around and just help plant seeds. Johnny Appleseed, uh, planting seeds for what it's like, and that's certainly what we've been doing. And we've, we've got actually a discipleship uh, a teaching team. Uh, it's about actually 11 or 12 people, but, but we usually take about five or six uh, John Tucker, who was here yesterday with us, can't be here this morning because he's uh, actually up at the cathedral, up at uh, Hope Point in the Woodlands uh, with responsibilities there. Our children's minister, Kathy, can't be here this morning, though she spent yesterday teaching the children about the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I do have uh, with me a couple of our teaching uh, members, and, and Craig Barrett. Uh, is also on the ministry team, teaching team. He also works with me in terms of developing and helping develop congregations. 
and Lisa Schwant, who is a deacon, uh, uh, and once again, we, in, 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 in this diocese, uh, men are ordained to what is called the presbyterate, uh, the ministry, a minister, that's what David is. David is a presbyter. I'm a bishop. I was a presbyter. But there are also in the great tradition, hundreds and hundreds of years, deacons. And uh, so we ordain women to the diaconate as, along with men, and uh, Deacon Lisa Schwant is with us, and she's actually responsible for organizing all of the uh, discipleship weekends that we go in and help, uh, and so very thankful for them. Uh, uh, wave so that they can see you. Okay, there you go. And then Craig's got his wife here, Nancy, and I've got my wife, uh, Tricia, so I hope you all will meet them afterwards. But we have been in this weekend looking at, okay, what does it mean for us to live more in a life of the Holy Spirit? And, and so my goal this morning is to do basically three things. One, for all those who weren't able to be here this weekend, to give you a context and to give you maybe a connection for what we've been learning. Some of it for some of you is not new. It might be new for some because one of the things that, that we realize is that most of us did not grow up in traditions that taught a lot about the Holy Spirit. Some grew up in traditions that taught really bad things, really un unfortunate, just bad theology about the Holy Spirit. But very few Christians in America usually have had good, solid, biblical, say the word with me, biblical, go ahead, say it again, biblical teaching. And so literally what we've been doing all weekend is we've been what I like to describe as steeping, just like, a, just like a pot of tea or a cup of tea, we've been steeping in God's Word, not about what we think the Holy Spirit is, not about what we feel the Holy Spirit is, but steeping in what God's Word says about His third person, about the third person of the Trinity. So for instance, we started out on Friday night, looking at, okay, who is the Holy Spirit? And, 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 and looked at all the way from creation, because we hear in Genesis that what, hover, what hovered over the earth? The Holy Spirit hovered over the earth in the very beginning of creation. And so we looked at all the way from creation, a lot, all the way to Pentecost throughout the Old Testament. Who is the Holy Spirit and how has the Holy Spirit manifested itself all through the Old Testament? And then yesterday morning, we spent time looking at, okay, so what does the Holy Spirit do today in the New Testament times? In what ways is this third person active now? And then we looked at, and how can we receive either for the first time or maybe more of his Holy Spirit. And we taught, and what we looked at was that in our tradition and, and really in the traditions of the vast majority of Christians in the world, we believe that what God's Word says that when you accept Jesus Christ and proclaim him as your Savior, that the Holy Spirit, God, places his Holy Spirit in you. And I oftentimes like to use the image, in fact, years ago when I came here, I actually brought one of those patio stoves, and I put it right up here, and, 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 and I talked about the fact that if you know those patio stoves, whether it be at a restaurant or on your own back 
patio or whatever, those patio stoves have down at the bottom of them what? A canister, right? And it's a canister of propane. And so if that's a visual image of the, the canister of propane is God placing his Holy Spirit in us when we've been baptized. Who, who does the placing? God. Not, not us. We, we do have to profess our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in our baptism, he, pla- he places his Holy Spirit. But then we looked at the reality that, okay, if God has placed his Holy Spirit inside us, and if God's word promises that, that there's certain fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit, what's some of the fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and then the one we always, self-control. If God promises this their fruit, then why are there so many Christians that baptized and having professed the Lord as their Savior don't seem to be operating in fruit? In fact, I confessed to, 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 to the group learning yesterday. I said in 40-something years, 50 years of, Christ, of, of my Christian walk, um, but 40-something years of ministry, I've got to tell you that some of the angriest, grumpiest, most divisive people I've ever met in my life are Christians. And so, but wait a minute, Lord, you've placed your Holy Spirit in them. They don't seem to be operating in your Holy Spirit. What's that about? And it's too easy, too easy an exit ramp to just say, well, sin, brokenness. It's too easy an exit ramp. Reality is is that, that the reason why so many people who have committed their life to Jesus as their Savior and maybe haven't surrendered their life to him as their Lord? Ooh. You mean it's got to be both? It's not just Savior? Not just about getting to heaven? No, it's to your Lord. He's got the master of your life. And, And why do so many people not be able to make that step, that leap? Well, because A, they try to do it themselves, B, they've never been introduced to the third person of of God, the Holy Spirit, because God over and over again basically says, you're not going to be able to do this thing yourself. You're going to have to have me. In fact, Jesus even says, I'm not going to leave you orphaned. I am not going to leave you orphaned. I'm going to leave you a comforter, a guide, someone who will, in fact, teach you he says. But we, especially in Western Christianity, oh, how we love to still try and do it ourselves. We love to still be on our own self-salvation projects all the time, thinking that it's going to have something to do with some list we've come up with that as long as we check off enough things on that list, God is going to love us. Friends, that is not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is that he loves you, period. He loves you unconditionally, period. And so as we come to that perhaps reality in our life, then how how do we surrender 
to him and, and, and what does that mean and what does it mean to let his Holy Spirit actually come not just in us, he's already in us if you've been baptized and if you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, but how do you let that come alive? How do you let that furnace come aflame? How, how do you turn the knob? We looked at yesterday, and this is once again just in the section of trying to connect the, those who weren't able to be here. We looked at pretty much all of the Acts of the Apostles, where in the Acts of the Apostles, time and time again, the Apostles are going out to various believers, disciples, those who have come to know the Word, etc., etc., and they're finding people who have sometimes been baptized, or they're finding people who have come to what the, what the Bible describes as know the Word, but as they interview them or talk to them or interact with them, they find out that they don't even know about the Holy Spirit. For instance, in Acts 8, if you want to open your Bibles, we're in the 14th chapter, I mean the 14th verse of the 8th chapter. And so in that 8th chapter, we see now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the Word of God, okay, know, very, know this very importantly, the word received is a very active word. It's not, it doesn't mean had been exposed to, listened to from the back of the synagogue. It means they had received it, actively received the word of God. So these, these were not simply, you know, Samaritans were pagans, okay? But, in it, but when it says they received the word of God, that means they no longer, they had received some aspect of God in their life. When that had happened, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Whoa. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Was receiving the word of God not enough? Well, obviously not. Because God, through Luke, specifically records that the very first thing they did was go and pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for, they, for he, the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You ever wonder when, for instance, in, in our tradition, for instance, when we welcome folks and we say, look, this is not the communion table of Apostles Church, this is the communion table of the Lord Jesus Christ. And anyone who is baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is welcome to come and join us for communion. That's the sort of standard invitation that we give in Anglicanism to the Lord's table. Now, why do we make a deal that it needs to be baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Because we know in Matthew 28 that as Jesus is giving the Great Commission. He tells them, go and teach them all things that I have taught you and baptize them, what? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus is trying to say, this baptism, which means to be immersed into a life with God, that's what baptismal means, to be immersed into a life with God, God specifically is trying to say he wants it immersed into his life holistic life, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so many folks who might experience, okay, the Heavenly Father, or been taught all their lives about the Heavenly Father, 
And then some, at some point, all of a sudden, like I did at one point in my life where I had never really contemplated that Jesus had died for me on a cross, that I actually couldn't have a relationship with the Heavenly Father unless I accepted that he had died for me and, and paid the ransom for my sins. And so I then had to accept Jesus. But even at that moment, I didn't know that I also had to step into the wholeness of God, which was also his Holy Spirit. That God says to us, I want you to experience all of me, not just a third of me, or not just a two-thirds of me. I want you to experience, know all of me. And then it makes sense why then, as I said earlier, later Jesus says to them, I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send the third person. The third person is going to be the one who comes and ministers to you. The third person is going to be the one that you're going to actually feel my love, Jesus says, and my heavenly Father's love. That's how it's going to work. That's how we, when he uses, you know, that what Jesus says, we, he means the Trinity. That's how we've designed it. And sadly, certainly true in the early days of my Christian walk, sadly, many people have received or accepted or come into some understanding of one part of his trinity. Some others have come into two parts. God wants all three the wholeness of who he is. It's why in our gospel lesson today, he's there with Nicodemus. Do you, do you realize who Nicodemus is? Nicodemus is a teacher of the law. That is, that's, what, that's the highest place you can be. It's, it's higher than a bishop, archbishop. It's the highest place you can be in Judaism. It, it means that he knew God's word the Torah, he knew it frontwards and backwards. He could quote anything at any moment to anyone. Wouldn't we love to be able to do that? But Jesus says to him, are you a teacher of the law and you do not know that you're still going to have to be born by the Spirit of God? That without being born of the Spirit, you're only going to be born of the flesh, and no matter how much you read Torah, he basically says to him, he says, you're going to not be able to experience the fullness of God. So for all of us, even for some who have perhaps experienced really bad teaching, as I said earlier, about the Holy Spirit. For all of us, we have to ask the question, do we believe that we're really walking in the fullness of God? I oftentimes ask it this way. Are you tired yet? Are you tired yet? of doing it all on your own? Are you tired yet 
of feeling like you have to come up with the answers or you have to come up with the moral righteousness that God will approve? Are you tired yet of trying to find the answers for your marriage? Are you tired yet of even trying to understand this crazy world we seem to be living in right now? Can I hear an amen? Are you tired yet of that? Because God every single day is wondering about all of us. Are you tired yet? Because I didn't design you or I didn't design any of creation for you to do it by yourself. But the way I've designed it is that my spirit is who will come. My spirit will be alive amongst you. My spirit will change you, your circumstances. My spirit will be the one who comes and shares with you, even through God's word, the hope. A lot of times I say to folks who have deep, and I have a deep devotion to his scriptures, as I said, We've spent all weekend steeping in his holy word. But you know you can't even interpret his word without his spirit. It's just an intellectual assent or philosophical exercise or whatever. If, 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 if without the Holy Spirit we don't say, Lord, show me exactly what you want me to hear. Which then brings me to the last thing I, I, I want to just share with you today, because this is what we've been looking at all weekend. And so how is that connected to the fact that we're going to be having confirmation for Eric Mingle, who is such an important and vital part of your community, and the fact that he's getting ready to be ordained in just three weeks? During announcements, we'll give a little more information about how you can come and share in that joy of that service if you've never been to an ordination service. Wow. They are absolutely amazing. But I want to give, because so many of you do come from different backgrounds, just a little primer on well, why, why does, do Anglicans do confirmation? I, I thought that was something that Catholics did. No, Catholics, Lutherans, Presbyterians, Anglicans, Orthodox. But what does it mean? Well, it means that over the centuries, the church has tried to develop ways to give people the opportunity that when they have been baptized and when the Holy Spirit has been placed in them, and when they get to a, an adult age where maybe they're beginning to realize what God's doing in their life or work, what God wants to do with their life, and perhaps it might be good to give them an opportunity. I use the word carefully, opportunity. It's not, it's not required. It's required of Eric because he's going to be ordained. It's not required. You could go to a prayer team on any Sunday. 
You could go to a prayer team on any Sunday and ask them to pray over you that the Holy Spirit would come alive and overflowing in your life. You don't need a bishop here to do that. But through the centuries, the church has tried to live and model and and be an example that, okay, if it was good enough in the New Testament for apostles, that's who I am, by the way, a bishop is an apostle. If it was good enough in the New Testament for apostles to go around and witness this, this, this understanding that we lay hands on someone as the apostles did in the early church, whether they've been baptized, whether they're not, you know, we lay hands on them, And we ask the Holy Spirit to come alive in them. Not be placed in them because in their baptism they already have it, but come alive in them. The reason why somebody being ordained should do that is not because we're just trying to check a box on a list. It's because how else would we want someone to go into his ordination when he's committing his life before God? In three weeks, Eric's going to be lying on a floor with his hands out like this, with his face in the ground, committing his life to the Lord in a way he's never done that before. Why wouldn't we want him to do that full of the Holy Spirit and overflowing with the Holy Spirit? Of course we would. And so that's why I'm here today, simply living out the apostolic ministry that's described in the Acts of the Apostles and trying to continue now 2,000 years later, honoring that God says, hey, this is good and right. And so as we participate in it today, I would encourage you. Are you tired yet? Perhaps you may today have said, I don't feel like I'm walking in the fruit of the Spirit or the strength of the Spirit or the comfort of the Spirit in the way that I think Bishop Clark is describing is in God's Word. I want to do that. And if that's true, don't don't hesitate to go to the prayer team today. Don't hesitate to turn to somebody you trust in this, in this place that you know is, is, is full of the Spirit and, and is a prayerful person. Don't hesitate to turn to them and say, would you just pray over me today because I want more of what he talked about today. God wants us all to know him. Holistically. Totally. Why? Because he loves us. You realize God doesn't need us. You do know that. God does not need us. He's perfectly happy in his relationship as the Trinity. But he desires us. And he wants us. Lord Jesus, Your word says and promises that in you we live and move and have our being. 
But we know, Lord, also that your word unfolds that that does not happen without your presence. That does not happen without you alive in our lives. So, Lord, I pray that you will make it so, not only in those who have been going through this entire weekend, but any and every individual, marriage, family. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.